Welcome back to the ICO Alert Podcast. I'm Ryan Dennis. Live here today, we have Alex Mashinsky, CEO of Celsius Network. We talk decentralization, the evils of exchanges. Maybe you can't trust them. Which companies in blockchain can you trust? And what's the real point of value creation? Not just for technology, but for the future of our world. What's the question we should be asking as we move forward? And what do we need to do in order to change this industry for the better? All that and more. You don't want to miss the one and only Alex Mashinsky. You never know what this guy's going to say because he's the smartest 20 people and I've got the goods. So stay tuned for more of the ICO Alert podcast with Alex Mashinsky of Celsius Network. We're going to get started now then. I think this is now the time. You, bet, I, you definitely have a broadcaster voice. It's like this deep voice. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't see a picture of you, I thought it would be like 50 years old. Now, but, uh, you know, I'm putting on this voice just to impress you. Um, that's, that's uh-huh. Well, I'm sure it work, it's working well with the ladies. Uh, that's all I can tell you. you know? <laughs> My fiance would disagree. She said it's. It's like a very white voice, you know. It's like <laughs> that. Uh... <laughs> well, I'm glad I get to use it for uh, for the actual blockchain industry instead of. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, you're the Barry White of the blockchain industry. Well, I'll that, take... I, just, I just gave you a nickname. That's it, man. <laughs> That's take... gonna stick. It's gonna you know? stick for sure. People ask me about you. I'll say, "What? Bar- you mean Barry White? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I did. I did the thing with him. You know." You don't want to hear me sing, though. That's the difference. Today, I have a very, very, very special guest on the ICO Alert podcast. This is Alex Mashinsky of Celsius. You guys know who he is. They're making waves, constantly putting on events in New York. And Alex's resume speaks for itself, and he speaks for himself very well. He's been on podcasts, spoken at nearly every conference throughout the year. I've actually seen Alex speak three or four times. He probably doesn't know that uh, in person and um, uh, covered some of the actions he took at TokenFest, met the Celsius team, were huge fans of Celsius, and they held an ICO, and it went very well, and we had the opportunity to partner with them on kind of uh, bringing the, the best of the Celsius network to the world, but they're doing a great job building their network. Anyway, welcome back to the ICO Alert podcast. I'm Ryan Dennis. Live here with me is Alex Mashinsky. Alex, how you doing, my friend? Thanks for having us. It's great, great to be on uh, on your show. You know, every time I Google your name, you have a new speaking engagement. You're talking to somebody else, and I recently heard your conversation with Pomp. You know, so I, I thought that that conversation went uh, very. It was very interesting to consume, and uh, it was very lively. And I would love to just first of all, anybody who doesn't know you from our audience, you know, maybe speak to Voip to Moip real quick. You know, you're using a product. Everybody wants to build products. You, we're using a product that you invented right now to have this conversation. And three billion of us are, you know, every day. So I want you to speak quickly on your story so we can get into this talk about pricing, decentralization, exchanges and more. Sure. So, you know, I was lucky enough. I think I was your age when, when the Internet got started. And I was lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time, work with some of the luminaries of the Internet. <clears throat> and I got to work on Voice of IP. You know, I... I uh, I came up with the idea that all voice should be on the internet. It should just be an application. Uh, got to write the patents, uh, October 1994, uh, the protocols. And uh, like you said, I mean, we took something that uh, people used to pay $3 a minute for. And, you know, they would plan once a year to call their relatives because it was so expensive. And now, you know, my kids and, and I just use it every day. They don't even think about it. Like they see a, a phone with a wire. They go like, ooh, what is that? You know, like so... <laughs> So I think VoIP, what, what VoIP did to the internet, which is probably the largest decentralized application on the internet today, uh, MoIP or Money of IP is going to do to the crypto community and to decentralization. So I think 
you know, I, I, I have this like, you know, very few of us get a chance to work at uh, two life-changing things in their lifetime. And I'm very excited to have, have had the opportunity to, to really have a second run at it. It's just uh, this time I have a little bit less hair and a lot more experience. I think, I think a lot more confidence too, because you've put together some teams that have been very successful. I know for a fact that you have had successful raises for several different companies, raised over $3 billion, right? Um, between some over a firms. billion, yeah, three billion in exits, but I raised over a billion from uh, in, uh, mostly venture capitalists. Yeah, very few people can say that in the world, uh, let alone blockchain industry. Uh, and but you caught the virus. The virus chooses who they choose, and um, and I mean by virus, I don't just mean you like blockchain, you like Bitcoin, you like making money, but you really see the purpose for all people. That's huge. So uh, really want to speak to when you're talking about money over IP, like. How can that work for 7 billion people if we haven't figured out anything else for 7 billion people? Right. So let me give a little bit of context uh, to viewers because uh, so I, I saw Milton Friedman, who's a, a Nobel laureate, uh, in, uh, economist uh, out of Chicago. He's one of the most famous people uh, who kind of predicted and, and built economic theory that we use every day, talk about e-money. This was back in 98, 99. And I was working in VoIP, so I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have time. I can't do both. So I'm just going to work on VoIP. But when I'm finished with that, I definitely want to work on what he called e-money. Mm. And like around 2002, 2003, I worked on this program that really, it, just, it was just an application that allowed you to attach money to email and send it to people. And we thought that was the biggest invention ever. This was before uh, Venmo and before PayPal and before all that stuff. And the regulators came and knocked on our door and, and basically explained to us very gently that we cannot do that. We can't just create our own money or send it to everybody or make it, a, you know, work on email because that would just open this Pandora box where everybody can do something uh, around the world without borders and without uh, regulations that restrict us every day. So, so we had to put that to bed. And 2009, I read Satoshi's white paper and I thought that was a brilliant idea, but I thought it was too slow. It was, it was not really uh, uh, scalable and it required way too much uh, electricity, communications, you know, speed of communications and com computing power, right? And it was just amazing between then and now to see the evolution of the Bitcoin kind of really breaking every barrier, every naysayer, everything that was in its way, uh, including things like Mongox, where you would think the entire community would just uh, blow up and just survive it, it it's really it's, it's like uh, these little animals that survive nuclear winter nuclear blasts and and don't have any you know any uh consequences so so i decided to focus on that really uh put my entire um efforts uh, everything i do every day is just about uh, scaling and bringing uh the blockchain especially cryptocurrencies to everybody on the planet and what does it mean i mean the 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 promise here is that really, if you think about all of us, right, every, everyone who's watching the show and everybody on this planet, we all really live in like this pyramid where we find our place in the pyramid, we're either at the bottom of the pyramid or the middle of the pyramid. Very, very few of us, the 1% gets to the top of the pyramid. And really, we don't have a chance to break through. And it, there is a promise, you know, uh, but there's no, the, the real opportunity is just not there. And a lot of the reasons why we cannot go up the layers in the pyramid is because it's designed that way. I mean, it's almost like when you go to school, 
you're designed to fit into a certain layer in the pyramid by becoming a lawyer or a consultant or a banker or uh, whatever you, you, your profession is, right? And, and what the blockchain, what the decentralization does, it really breaks all of that. It, it replaces a pyramid with a circle. And it basically says, hey, anyone who creates value in this circle uh, will be judged on their value creation, not based on their profit ability, right? Because in the pyramid, we are judged based on how much profit can we generate for the people above us, right? And the guys who generate the most profit uh, really get to rise to the top of the pyramid. Because if you are on Wall Street and you, gener you, you know how to generate a lot of profit, you will be promoted very quickly and you eventually will become the CEO of Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or whatever. That's what it's based on. It's not based on your contribution to society or based on your contribution to your friends. It's just about profit, right? Uh, that's why the joke on Wall Street is you want a friend, go, uh, go get a dog, you know, because, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not measured based on, on creation or based on contribution. So the opportunity with the blockchain and cryptocurrencies is really to replace that system, which has been there for several thousand years, with a system in which a guy like Vitalik can come right after going to the block, uh, uh, Bitcoin foundation saying, hey, I have this brilliant idea about a smart contract. They, they, they shoot him away. They're like, we don't need your ideas. Create his own world, right, called Ethereum. Have people join. And the people that join early and contribute early are the ones who are benefiting from it, right? Ethereum created more millionaires than any public company in history. So, so that could never happen before, right? It could never happen under the old regime that, that we're all used to. So, so I think the, the, what cryptocurrencies represent is a whole new world, a new universe, right? It's, it's, like a, it's like living in a different dimension where all of us have a chance or the ability to restart and really flourish a, uh, based on our ability to contribute to society. Because what, what did, what did the, uh, Vitalik contribute? He contributed a brand new protocol, right, that enables us to transact uh, with cryptocurrencies in a better, more efficient, uh, transparent way than the Bitcoin. And, and that was enough to create $60 billion worth of value for everybody who jumped in and helped out and either became a miner or became a, a holder of the coins. And, and, you know, not such wealth creation just never happened before. And that's why there's so much excitement about the blockchain in general and about cryptocurrencies in specific. I think that there's a few people in this industry who can really speak on what the point of this whole system is, and, and you're one of them. But, but uh, the, the really hard part is taking everybody else with you when you're, when you're communicating this message of what's the larger point, right? So at the very basis of it, we're human beings. We're living on Earth. We're kind of stuck on this drop in space, floating around. How do we survive together? You know, since the beginning of time, you know, we needed to eat. And it was common knowledge. You give food to other people. You hunt. You, you share it with what you can. You just try to survive out here. And then somehow food became decentralized and resources became, you know, centralized because people wanted more power. They wanted more food. They wanted more control. And then we come to a system where we have money. And then money is changing the way we're looking at power because what money is is just a unit of value for value creation or for what you can do with it. It's a unit of measure for value. So as a unit of measure for value itself, how do we 
help other people do this value creation, right? The point of blockchain, from my perspective, is to help people create value and let everybody have access to it and really incentivize people to create value because it's going to help them. And through the law of cause and effect, you see, you make more good, then you get more good, you know, selfishly, right? If you, they always say, if you want to make a billion dollars, help a billion people, right? But the problem with that is, how do we help a billion people? And the, the value that I would get from helping those billion people would also go out to a billion more people, right? How do we make this kind of dispersion um, and this fungibility of just value creation? So I want to hear your opinion on why we as human beings centralize why do we do this is, is blockchain something that's out of our nature is it something where of course we want to help other people you know that's the morally right thing to do but why is it that when we get a new thing like the internet or we get a new thing like blockchain we are so quick to grab at the teat of the powerful and and try to collude with others in order to kind of take advantage of others is it us well, yeah, yeah no no you, you raise a great point because you're right i mean the internet started as a decentralized platform and today uh facebook has more than half of the internet you know as an example right so so the powers to be google facebook and some others alibaba and so on definitely have centralized the internet because uh, they become such powerful uh, networks, right? And you have the network effect where the decentralized internet cannot compete with centralized applications like Facebook, Alibaba, and so on. So, you know, look, they, they take banks, for example, right? I mean, banks are uh, very powerful centralized organizations, right? Their job is to maximize the profit for themselves, right? The pyramid that is the bank and the shareholders that hold, that own the bank, right? And, and it's another example of how uh, right now we're going through this wave of decentralization that's basically saying, hey, we don't, just like we didn't need the phone company to connect us to our uncle or father or daughter or, or friend, uh, we don't need the bank to exchange value between the two of us. Because think about what banks do, right? They, they take you, when you get your paycheck, you deposit it with a bank because you don't even think about any other things, right? It's automatically going to the bank. And the bank takes your money, lends it to me. I have a credit card, so they will basically pay you less than 1% for your money. Turn around, give me your money. It's not their money, it's your money. And charge me 24, 25, 29% on my credit card. So you get less than 1%. All they did is turned around and gave me your money and they get to keep 90% of the value. So, and none of us are screaming. Do you see anyone, any of your colleagues in your office are screaming, saying, hey, we mad as hell, we're not gonna take this anymore? I mean, no one. No one, is, no one thinks that there's a different way, right? So, and, and look, I, I'll, I'll, I'll call out the rest, most of the people in, in, the, in, the, in the blockchain community, including the crypto community, they're not there to do good. They're not there to help a billion people. They're there to make a profit, right? So, so what you see is a lot of speculators and a lot of people who looked at this new uh, area, this new industry, and said, My gosh, look how easy it is to raise money here. Let's just jump in and try to make money for ourselves, right? So most, most projects, unfortunately, are not focused on creating value for others, are not focused on helping others. And, and that's just the, the nature of, of humans, right? But at the same time, if you look at the internet, for example, over 90% of the internet is running on open source software, right? So there are definitely, or VoIP, right, is a, is a completely distributed open application. So there are areas where 
even the biggest of the big, Microsoft and IBM basically have given up and, and said, okay, software is going to be free, software is going to be open. And that was because the community got together and said, we're not going to use the IBM servers or the Microsoft servers. We're going to use open source software. So you, you can see both sides of the equation. You can see how we, all of us, succumb to people like the banks and Facebook and so on because we don't understand how they take advantage of us. And on the other side, you can see how all of us get together and keep the decentralized movement going with things like VoIP, things like, uh, you know, so open source software and others. So, what, you know, you asked me before, before we started this video, like, what, what, what can we do? And, and, and the answer is, we need to convince others. We need to educate and convince others to be able to differentiate between the people who really do stuff for the right reasons and the people who are only doing it because they're trying to create a even bigger centralized monopolies. So there's people like you who have engineering backgrounds. I mean, you're an inventor. You hold over 50 patents. You, you some people will call you a tycoon, right? You know, uh, because you've built so many different things and changed industries. You put wireless in the damn subway, man. I'm from New York. I'm from Queens. So I definitely understand how much of an impact you've made for our world. The question really is for younger people, right? People who are new to blockchain, inexperienced really want to evangelize this industry, talking about me, I have a lot of experience with the corporate and traditional world, but that doesn't do anything to help you change the world, right? It, it teaches you how to, how to talk to people and get a paycheck and, you know, then you can like rent a house and, and collect a little check. But what, what I really want to know is for young people who are in this next generation who want to figure out what should they focus on, right, from your experience and your skill set, what can we focus on to be those educators for the next generation? The reason I ask that is because some people say that the real popularity of the Internet, if you were going to analogize that to blockchain, right, the way it really got connected to other people is through language and culture. When we saw something saying, you've got mail, we all identified with that. And it made us feel comfortable, like, oh, okay, like, that's a funny thing. LOL is something that connected people, right? So what are the things that people who don't understand technology as well but understand culture, understand how to communicate with people, and really are inexperienced, what can they do to move and, and push adoption and education in such a complex arena like blockchain? So look, I, it's true that it's complex, but I can tell you voice over IP is complex as well. And, and, and mo I would say 99.9% .9 of the people that use it every day don't know how it works, right? Even the experts, when I tease them and I say, really, you think you know how it works? and I start digging in, they kind of say, oh, you're right, you know, I didn't think about this, I didn't think about that. So the beauty of technology is it hides the complexity and it just gives us, like me and you, for example, the ability to communicate over distances without even thinking about it, without, without thinking about cost or delay or, or time zones or anything like that, right? So blockchain is the same way. Blockchain is just the tools, right? And, and cryptocurrencies are just rails that everybody can use to do good. And, and what I'm trying to communicate here really is that, the, look, the, the, the decentralization is like a tsunami. It's gonna wash everything, right? So everything that has been built for profit is gonna be have to be reinvented for the community, right? And if, you, if your company is really focused on profit, guess what's gonna happen? Your users are gonna be looking at you and saying, well, you're not the type of company that we wanna support, right? I mean, most young people I know, including I have six kids at home, you know, you know, my 19 year old daughter, she came to me and said, I'm taking a year off. I'm not going to Barnard, as I promised. I'm going to take a year and go and help uh, underprivileged children 
and, and I want to give, I want to help the world. I want to give back to the world. All the people who, who join, um, you know, different organizations like the United Nations or Peace Corps or others, right? This is just shows you that the young generation wants to do good, right? It's, it's not like they're sitting there and all they care about is going to Wall Street and making millions of dollars. So the human nature is, 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 is of great, is positive, is, is 90% of us are givers, you know? So all we need to do is enable people to contribute in a much more open way. And that's part of what the ICO movement did, right? Initial coin offering and, and um, cryptocurrencies in general is that they democratize and like you said, made, made raising money fungible across the planet. Suddenly it didn't matter if you were from Japan or if you were from India or if you were from Russia, if you had a great idea and you had a good team, you could actually for the first time raise money without being in Silicon Valley, right? And you had to prove to the community you were raising money from the community. None, almost none of this money came from venture capitalists, right? You were raising money from the community to help them uh, uh, create something that will help the community. They, just like in Celsius Network case, right? We did not take any money from VCs or from large co corporations because for us, they were not helping the community. If, I was, if I'm going to give uh, some big uh, shark from Silicon Valley a 50% discount just for him to fund my project or more, and that doesn't help the person that comes after him, right? So we decided to democratize this and make it available and open to everybody on the planet. We had, you know, over 15,000 people registered to participate. And one thing that really shocked me was that 95% of them were men. <laughs> you know, wow. there, there were no women in the crypto revolution. There were no women who were really trying to change the world using the blockchain. And part of what we're really focused on at, at Celsius is making sure that at least more than half of our employees are women. And we focus on making sure that we are getting as much input as possible on our product and our services uh, to make sure that we're building a product that works for women just as well as it works for men. And, and these are the, the little things that make all the difference. You know, that, that are you focused on the right community? Are you building the right product? Are, is your community telling you, giving you feedback and telling you if you're doing the right thing every day? You know, so, so, that these and these are rare. I can tell you, you know, the, obviously a lot of scams, a lot of bad projects in crypto, and every publication, including yours, have written about them and marked them and said, "Hey, watch out for these guys." But look what we got from the internet, right? The internet is 25 years old, and all we have is five very, very powerful companies, right? Google, Facebook, Amazon, uh, Netflix, and so on, right? So, so. Let's assume for a second that we're only going to get five great companies out of the blockchain, mm. okay, that are going to change the world. Let me tell you that these five companies are going to be bigger than anything that was created on the internet. And the reason for it is that the internet, even though it's huge and it's revolutionary, did not touch everything in our lives. The reason the blockchain is touching everything in our lives is because it's touching money. And money touches everything in our lives. So the opportunity for young people, going back to your original question, is to reinvent everything, reinvent the bank and reinvent healthcare and reinvent insurance and reinvent the, every aspect of our lives in a process that is doing good for the people by the people versus just value, just creating profit for this or that corporation. So 
that is the opportunity. It's not easy. If it was easy, all of us would be already figuring it out. And that's why we're going through this experimentation. What you're seeing is, it's like a Cambrian explosion, right? There's, there's thousands and thousands of new creations. Most of them are not going to survive. 90% of them are going to die. No question about that. But the few that are survive are going to be bigger than the, the, the biggest guys that the internet created. And this, this is sort of a selfish question, you know, just for ICO alert, right? Uh, I, you know, we, we really, our brand is, is very much so about trust. We are the comprehensive list. You know, we're not, we're not going to list any scams. We do research. We do third parties. And then this is, 2017 was a year, we, everything's booming for ICOs. If you had an ICO about your thumb, then you're going to raise a couple dollars. The question of the matter is, in 2018, people started to say, oh, these ICOs are scams. I'm being scammed. Everything's a scam. Um, and now we see at the very same time, it's very interesting that these traditional banks and Wall Street is just being welcomed. It's like, come here to the blockchain space, come save us. And people are forgetting about the retail investor. They're forgetting the whole point of an ICO is so that you can make some money, so that you can become a venture capitalist, so you can become an entrepreneur, so you can start a company and have and build something open and transparent. And it's almost like marketing and FUD has kind of shaped us to believing that, you know, instead of the banks scamming us, instead of like the, the, the grocery store upselling maple syrup to 20 bucks, that it's these ICOs that are the new, that's the new big scam. When they don't look at companies that have done well from Celsius, where you've got a great concept and a great team, and it's, it's a very diverse team, to even companies like Binance and EOS, which are massively successful, may or may not be centralized based on different people's opinions, and they argue about it all day, that ICOs in general have made an impact that is positive. And so from, from your perspective, where do you think ICOs will end up to, I see, you know, coin offerings, because you famously said that disruption sometimes requires destruction, right? So what is, what's kind of like the dystopia of if we don't use the blockchain, if we don't use ICOs to build new companies to change our world, then what is going to happen if we fail and we miss this opportunity to stand up right now? I think that the opportunity for a lot of what we're talking about is, is about a, you know, enabling people, like you said, this, the small investor to, for the first time, to participate in things that normally they were completely excluded from. The problem that we had is that a lot of these investors have implemented the spray and pray mentality, right? So they basically, they, they didn't have time to do the diligence on a thousand projects. They thought everything is going to go, all trees are going to, uh, you know, uh, grow to the sky. And they just sprayed money on all the projects, on good projects and on bad projects. And uh, what we're seeing right now is really the bifurcation, the separation of what's, what was good, what was considered quality projects from the ones that were just there to, you know, either uh, put their hands on money or they were not really there for the community. So, and the same thing with the blockchain, right? I mean, the blockchain could be used for good or bad. It could be used for banks and financial and other institutions to create more profit for themselves, just like you're seeing JP Morgan and other banks implementing it. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but basically we don't think that that's what uh, Satoshi's dream was, right? I mean, he it, it, it didn't sit there or she didn't sit there and say, gosh, let's, after this 2008 collapse in where the banks completely ruined our economy, let's go and find a way to create even more value for them. You know, so 
I think the, the promise was to create an alternate system, an alternate universe to the financial system we have today in which the central banks and the banks themselves are basically extracting all the value for themselves. Another very important point is, is that, that when you think about the monetary system that we live in, right, and where, where a government issues a currency, the dollar or the yen or the euro, and then a central bank manages that currency, uh, these are inflationary systems. By definition, they're designed to be a system in which you're not, you're not gonna wanna keep your money just in the bank because, unless, because of inflation, every year it's gonna lose two, three, four percent of its value. So uh, the opposite of that exists with the blockchain, right? The blockchain, especially cryptocurrencies, are deflationary systems. They're systems in which the hodlers uh, have an advantage because they're gonna, their value or the, no, the number of coins that are in circulation actually goes, net-net goes down every year, even though their coins being mine, mined, uh, there's absolute cap and the total number of coins in circulation will decrease over time, not increase over time. People lose them and so on and so on. So, and in a deflationary system, you want to be a hodler. You don't want to be a guy who invests his projects in real estate, his money in real estate or anything else. So for a lot of governments, a lot of banks, when they see cryptocurrencies, they see them as something that is a threat to their entire existence, right? It's something that is bringing almost the opposite uh, use case for money than where it is today, right? And, and this is the... Cryptocurrencies are the first time in history that the average Joe, the average person, got in on the next big thing before the big guys. The institutions are just now figuring out how to get in on this and how to buy coins and how to hold them. And they definitely missed the first two or three waves uh, since 2008. And now things are going to change. So uh, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about these underrepresented average Joes and Janes and, and all these people. You've built teams that have had a lot of success. And one of the things has always been a, this uh, crux for, you know, women being a part of your team. And we see in blockchain, they're, they're not represented the way that they should be. And some of the most successful teams in the world, and, and, and you've had success with teams where they have their ratio right and they do things the right way. So that's that's definitely just a blanket part of your success. Diverse ideas means you have diversification, you're more competitive than anybody else with bringing something to market. So from your perspective, I wanna know how we can actually, you know, how do you look at talent? How do you look at integrity when you're building a team that's taking on such a big task like this to encourage the you know, garnering and respect and integrity that your brand still upholds while gathering people from different backgrounds. How do you really inspire that? How do you hire that? And, and what is everybody doing wrong in blockchain that they did in the last financial industry? Right, so, so most technical companies are uh, four or five guys. Most of them are either gamers or the guys that went to college together uh, who come up with a technical idea and they go in, they build it and they bring their friends and you end up with a company that has uh, 29 men and one woman, you know, and, and, and by definition, they're, they're, not, they're just not going to build uh, the next big thing because 70 or 80% of all purchases in our economy are done by women, not by men, right? So, so when you want to, especially when you're taking a product like uh, the Bitcoin or Ethereum, which are used for transactions, right? And you're saying, hey, let's make it a replacement for Visa or MasterCard. Let's make it a replacement for the bank and you're not including the people who actually do most of the purchases, then uh, by definition, you're going to lose, right? You, you're not going to be successful because you're not building the right product. 
So, so you, you want a team that has diversity. You want a team that has disagreements, but also has a balance where people feel comfortable that they can say uh, uh, what's on their mind. And, and uh, look, I, I'm, I'm guilty, I'm, you know, that myself of, of thinking that I have all the answers and usually I'm, you know, two or three years ahead of the curve and, and that, you, that sometimes is a disadvantage because you're building a product for something that is, the market is not yet ready for. So it's very important to take the input from the people around you who are actually using the stuff every day who tell you, hey, slow down, this is what we need right now. We may build all these other features two or three years from now when the market's ready for it. So it's little things like that that, for example, we, we put in CellPay uh, in, our, in our app. If you download Celsius Network, uh, where you could basically send anyone money uh, or tokens or coins without even knowing their uh, wallet address or knowing if they have Bitcoin or don't have Bitcoin. Because today, if I want to send you something, let's say I want to bring you into the crypto community, it's a nightmare getting you on. Like you have to figure out how to open a wallet and then you have to know how to get your address and you have to send it to me and I have to do a test transaction. By the time all these things happen, I've lost you five times over. Mm -hmm. so, so we created something that looks like Venmo where basically if I just know your, your Twitter handler or if I know your cell phone number, I can just send you a link and automatically bring you, induct you into the crypto world with just a simple simple transaction right so and this came from inside the community right i mean our our people and our employees came and said hey why can't we create something like venmo for crypto right and and we we looked at it we started digging into it and we found a way so so i think the 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 challenge for for your viewers is really that they need to think the same way about insurance about banking about healthcare, about every aspect it's like take the old yellow pages go from a to z and that uh, directory and all those things need to be reinvented right everything there every word in there needs to be reinvented that's the opportunity but so so I mean I want to you know first you have to bring all your friends into it and then you have to have them get excited and want to say I'm gonna change healthcare I'm gonna make the world a better place using blockchain using cryptocurrencies and really completely uh, level the opportunity like you said again like what we're doing is we're taking the low rates that are available in the United States and we make that fungible across the planet. We issue 5% loans and it doesn't matter if you're from Vietnam, from India, from Russia or from the United States. It's the same price for everybody. And until the blockchain was around, you couldn't do anything like that, right? So, so borrowing money in, in, in Africa is probably cost 30% per year. You know, we're doing it for 5%. So... So it's things like that, that the minute you break the borders and you break the barriers and the monopolies or the exclusivities that people used to have, and they view it and say, wow, you know, this is, this is really happening. It's really, this revolution is really taking hold. Even though there's a lot of fluctuation in the pricing of the coins, I think underneath that you can see the community building and, and scaling. And we may be, you know, getting rid of a bunch of speculators who came here for the wrong reasons, but the hardcore guys who are here to change the world are still with us. I know you read uh, Ray Dahlia and uh, I, I read a book uh, by Kurt Vonnegut called God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, about a uh, rich guy who gives away all of his money all the time. And throughout the book, you can't tell if he's crazy or not. Like, it's never answered whether or not he actually is a problem or not. And so we're here, you know, we're in nice offices, 
we're in the United States, you know, we're probably we're definitely going to have dinner tonight, right? What is wrong with us that we want to help all these other people? Why do we care about, we call them retail investors, but it's really the 99%, right? Why do we care about the rest of the world? So let's get into this, right? The burning of the real retail investor. ICO alert is made to protect investors, novice investors, allow them to learn about ICOs, get in early. I mean, Celsius is helping people build, get a wallet. Anybody can use it and hold some crypto and earn some interest on the, or even get some collateral on their crypto. There's these companies that are really care about people and really don't want to burn the retail investor. But once you bring your friends in, once you teach them about blockchain, you never know what they're going to do or what they're going to try. And of course, somebody will end up going to an exchange. So what the hell happens when I go to an exchange and I'm missing the swing trades, I'm losing money, my friends are making money. I mean, what happens and what can we do to teach people about the perils and the good of exchanges and, and where we're going to head? Yeah, so let's start with ICOs and then we'll go to the exchanges. So, so uh, and I have, I have a few slides that kind of talk about uh, the most important things that, so if people are going to want to Google and, and watch some of my other, it's also on our website, by the way, Celsius.network. Uh, there are a few great videos that kind of where I'm walking step by step on how do you qualify an ICO. But look, I think the quality of ICOs has dramatically improved mm -hmm. uh, since we had this downturn because the community right now is very, very skeptical, right? Like because there's so many bad projects, right now you have to smell like roses uh, to to really get any, to be able to raise any money. So, and and there is more investors and very, very few projects. I think there's much more feedback also from the community to each other about each project, right? So everything is getting scrutinized much, much in a much higher level than it was before. So I think you're going to start seeing more and more quality projects come out of this nuclear winter that we're going through, which is a good thing. You're also seeing a lot of security tokens being issued, not just utility tokens, which is a whole nother branch in the tree, right? So investors have to be careful and kind of analyze, do I want to invest in the security? Do I want to invest in a, in, in a token? What jurisdiction? What am I getting back? How, what's my participation? And what are the token economics and everything else, right? So when, when people, you know, and I say to everybody, you know, if you, if you really want your coin, you know, e, our famous formula, E equals MC squared. If you want E for Ethereum to be worth a lot of value, if you want Ethereum to go back to $1,000, you got to have M, right? M is members, right? You need to have a lot of new people join. And you have to have uh, what we, uh, C squared is, is uh, you need to have a lot of credit. The community, right? Community credit, C, C squared, is what's driving the membership, which results in the higher price of the E, meaning Ethereum. And the same thing is true for Bitcoin or for Ripple or for anything else. If we cannot scale the community, nothing here is going to happen. And to scale the community, you cannot bring all your friends, have them join, buy some coin, lose half of the value, <laughs> and run away back from crypto land, back to fiat land, and say, hey, you know, thanks for introducing me to this thing, but I'm never touching anything again. So, so a very important element of this is to make sure that they land on the right project, they diversify, they get into it slowly because they take their time to learn about never put anything in one project or one uh, um, you know, ICO and, and uh, be wary of exchanges. I mean, I always tell people that, uh, you know, just like the banks are not your friends, uh, exchanges are not your friend either, right? The exchanges are there for one reason only, and that is to make profit on your trades. 
and many exchanges like we uh, Celsius, uh, uh, many people ask us to list our token on their exchange and we ask them to sign uh, in blood that basically that they're not front running their customers, that they're not uh, taking the counter trade, they're not prop trading, meaning their proprietary desk that trades against their own customers and they don't short the coins that they list, right? So all these things that I just mentioned are all things that exchanges do to optimize their profits, right? And very few exchanges, only three exchanges have actually agreed to do that, to sign a piece of paper and say, yes, we, we will sign that we, we don't do any of these things because I don't want to introduce my community of thousands of people that trust us to exchanges that are not acting in the best interest of their customers. You know, we can say in a straight face that Celsius is always acting in the best interest of the community, is always doing everything on behalf of our members that is in their best interest. And we're doing that because we, we, that's how we started from the beginning, right? So if you take, I'll, I'll, I'll take one example, uh, BitMEX. BitMEX is the largest exchange in the world today. And the biggest problem with BitMEX is, is that uh, we all think that we have 21 million Bitcoins, but the reality is that BitMEX created 200 million additional Bitcoins because they have synthetic trading, right? They basically create, they give you leverage 10 to one or 20 to one. Uh, they create fake artificial Bitcoins, which completely are in the opposite uh, um, uh, interest of the community. The community doesn't want to have more than 21 million Bitcoins. The whole purpose of investing in cryptocurrencies is knowing that there is only a finite amount of Bitcoins and as more people join, the value will increase. If you have exchanges like BitMEX and others who create fake coins, create synthetic coins, all they're doing is they're making it easier for speculators to short the market or to create volatility, which is not in the best interest of the coin holders or anyone else, right? So, so these are the just few examples of the negative elements that exist in our community. And there's no regulation. You can't regulate BitMEX. So the only way all of us can do is educate people that they should not be using BitMEX. Because every time you make a trade on BitMEX, you're hurting the entire community. Jeez Louise. Okay. Well, so Bitcoin can be manipulated. It can be kind of changed the way it's a lot of Bitcoin maximalists will come at me for this. And that has and that's not Bitcoin's fault, right? It's it's just the nature of listen, people who want to make money, they figure out a way to make money. They figure out a way to trick people and novice investors. So what is your one, two, three step process for, okay, you got your grandma, you got your buddy from college, you got your your barber, you know, um, and the guy who is always at the barbershop may not have any money at all. How do you t how do you teach these people one, two, three step? Where would they start if you were going to start with maybe companies or brands where they could kind of follow? Where do I research? Where do I? What's your step process? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so there are trusted brands that are, are acting like Coinbase, for example, is a trusted brand. They are acting in the best interest of, of the community. They have uh, stated publicly both to their customers and to the SEC that they are not front running. They're not shorting. They're not prop trading. So uh, Coinbase is definitely a great place uh, uh, to land on. Any of your uh, friends who want to get into this industry, um, uh, that's where they should uh, come and join is open an account. Uh, just go to Coinbase or download the app and put $100 or $50, buy Bitcoin. Just that's, Bitcoin is like the safe landing zone, 
You know, like, uh, do you want to land in an airport that has lights or do you want to land in an airport that may not have lights when you come <laughs> and land there? So, so it's very simple. Just go to where it's safe. Uh, blockchain.com is another wallet that is very, very, I like them a lot. They're a great uh, wallet. They've been around for a long time. They have 28 million users. So you're going to be among many, many other people who are, uh, joining the community. And again, I would just open the wallet, buy a little bit of Bitcoin, and then go and explore uh, all the different projects or different opportunities and diversify, right? If you believe that Ethereum is a great project, you can take 10, 20% of your holdings and you can convert from Bitcoin to Ethereum or from Bitcoin to some ICO or something else, right? And just experiment and learn about that. Definitely don't take your life savings don't take uh, your grandmother's life savings and put them into anything like this because that is not the purpose of cryptocurrencies. The purpose of cryptocurrencies is to slowly educate the whole world that we are acting in their best interest. And if we all lose money quickly because we got in at the wrong time or we did something that wasn't in our interest, uh, we're just going to keep recycling and losing people. The whole point here is to add people to the community, send some coins to someone else. So again, you can... Download, for example, the Celsius wallet. You can transfer the coins from your Bitcoin wallet or from your Coinbase wallet or from your Bitcoin.com wallet to Celsius, and then they can start earning interest for you. We pay four, five, six percent interest. That's four times more than the bank. And now your money is working for you instead of you working for your money. Most young people your age have never experienced that. They've never experienced their money working for them. But that's how the rich people, all the rich people become richer because they don't go to work every day. They just have their money work for them, right? So this is the same opportunity here, right? So if we pay multiples of what the bank pays for interest and you see that, you can then move a little bit more money, a little bit more money, and now your nest egg is growing at, at five times the speed that it would grow somewhere else, right? Uh, another thing we do is, for example, like you said, we issue loans against your crypto. So that is another trick that the very rich do where they don't sell their Facebook stock. They don't sell their Amazon stock. They borrow against it. They don't, pay, they don't have to pay taxes since they didn't sell the asset. And they can borrow dollars against them, use them to buy a car, use them to pay for their college tuition or for rent. But at the same time, the asset still works for them, right? So that's called the tax deferral. And that's something we're offering inside the wallet as well. So these are things that are acting in your best interest and they, it doesn't matter if you have a dollar or a million dollars, you can take benefit of these automatically. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to fill up forms. You don't have to move things around. It automatically, right? And the whole point is, is that people don't need a PhD in economics to be able to benefit from these things. So now the coins do move up and down in value. Right now we're down whatever, 85%. Bitcoin was down 85% or more before and it always recovered. Now, I can't promise it's going to recover again, but I can tell you that the best strategy is that you could buy more, a little bit more each time, every few months or whenever you can, and put more money to work and basically average your price. So over a period of time, you're going to have a, a, an average uh, of the price of Bitcoin over a year or two years. And when you look back at it, you'll be basically appreciating the fact that it created a lot of value for you over time. That is the plan. That's why all of us are hodlers. All of us are trying to have as many coins as we can and hold them over time. So when the rest of the world comes join us, um, the price of those coins will be higher. 
I love that. So, uh, got a question for you about 2019, right? It's Hanukkah. It's it's about it's about to be Christmas soon. The New Year is here. 2019, kind of a moment of rebirth from the winter to back to uh, uh, the new seasons that are going to come next year for cryptocurrency, traditional businesses. Q1 is coming. So, the leaders of this industry, the the entrepreneurs, everybody gets a fresh start to kind of rebrand, change things. And there's a lot of pressure being put on some of the influencers as they are kind of changing. There's kind of a changing of the guard, right? The voices in blockchain, cryptocurrency, the tech industry are changing. And I see you've been working really hard, so I can tell the people are putting a lot of pressure even on you for some of the, the things that you've been standing up and talking about. So I want to hear a little bit about what is the onus of the leaders of 2019? What are what really should the right people be doing? You talked about Brian Armstrong at Coinbase doing things the right way. How do leaders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, executives, founders, people who want to start their own blockchain projects or just start a small startup, maybe crypto or not, what is the real moment of 2019 going to be about and what do they need to learn how to do better? So that's a great point because in, I think in 17 and 18 uh, or 16 and 17, I should say, the, the, the focus was on the gambler, the, 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 veg, the guy who went to Vegas, the, the crazy guy who put all of his money into Bitcoin and now is driving Lambos and, 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 and so on. And, and that is changing, that, that these are not our heroes, right? I think mo- many people understand that that just was a one-time fluke and it's never going to happen again. And that now we really have to listen to the people who are here for the long term, right? People who are talking about the next five or 10 years, people who are building the infrastructure and the capabilities that we're going to need to be able to build a community for the next 100 years, right? So I think for the new viewers, for the new people who are just coming in, it's very important that they pick the people that they can trust, right? And, and keep listening to them. If it's a podcast uh, or if it's a, a conference or if it's a speech, uh, you got to figure out, okay, are, are these people here uh, for the community? Are, are these people here to help us out? Or they're just here to extract value out of our deposit or out of our, uh, you know, out of us joining the crypto revolution? And, you know, my, my view on, on 2019 and, and the reason I'm a very optimistic and a big bull is that all, all these institutions that I talked about, all of the, the guys like Fidelity and, and uh, the New York Stock Exchange and all these people that for, for the last two years have been talking about joining uh, the crypto revolution are now actually doing it. And, and in the beginning of 19, the beginning of next year, you, for the first time, you're going to have these islands uh, on which the institutional guys can come in and for the first time uh, join and really put real money to work, right? So part of the reason currencies are, uh, and tokens are going down, um, coins and token prices are going down, is because we don't really have broad participation. You know, we have the retail investor, the guys who came in early, and if there's a, a dash to the exits, the prices just collapse and there's no one there who has deep enough pockets to absorb all of that and move it back to the upside. And I think a lot of these participants are sitting on the sidelines. They're going to join in the beginning of next year and you're going to start seeing a a more balanced uh, wave of buyers, not just sellers who keep creating new lows uh, every day for Bitcoin, for Ethereum and so on. So, and the reason I know that they exist is because I speak to them every day. You know, part of what Celsius does is we work with institutional investors 
you know, I'm a, I've, I've been working with Fidelity for a long period of time. Um, so I, I know these guys and, uh, and I think they're very serious about what they're talking about. This is not just something, a wave that's going to uh, pass and, and people are going to come and say, hey, Alex, you promised us at 19 we're going to turn around and it didn't happen. I really believe that 19 is going to be a, a turning point after which we're going to see new highs for all these coins, at least the quality coins. That kind of speaks to your point about the quality of ICOs improving and different token sales improving. And we're all nuanced investors now. We're all very sharp at vetting websites, vetting teams. And we, we, we're going to all be asking that deeper question of, is this project value or is it violence, right? Are they trying to make money? Or are they not? And, and I study uh, Buddhist philosophy, and one of the things about violence is violence can be words that you say. Violence can be obviously hitting somebody in the head, but it can also be just like the things that you do behind people's back that they will never know. But your environment knows, you know, your body knows, your psych- psyche knows, and the universe knows, right? So how does that tie into money and, and the businesses that we're, that we're building? Is these exchanges building, you know, swing trading, these companies that are just trying to, they're, they're selling snake oil very well, and they say they're building projects, but they may not have the expertise to really do it and lying about it. That violence really hurts yourself, kind of like anger. It's like a hot coal you hold yourself. It doesn't really hurt anybody else. I think that's going to get shaken out, right? And the value-driving projects are going to be rising to the top. So who are your some of your top favorite companies in the space right now? Who should people be modeling themselves afterwards? You mentioned Coinbase. You mentioned uh, Blockchain.com. We got Celsius. Who else are you looking at? Well, I, I, I like uh, Stellar. I think that's a great project. Uh, I, I, there's few others that are yet to prove themselves, like EOS and, and others. I think, uh, again, there's a lot of momentum behind them. There's a lot of uh, good people who are working on the project, but they need to have, like, you know, like Ethereum, for example, has over a thousand projects being built on, on, on its uh, blockchain, right? So, so they have the vast majority of the community kind of committed to their uh, protocol. And, and uh, some of the newer projects are yet to, uh, they not just can deliver the technical side, which is speed and agility and everything else, but also basically support their community and scale their community. So, uh, and that's why I'm saying, I'm, I'm really urging people to diversify. Even if you're really excited about this or that technology, uh, chances are that uh, you're not the best investor in the world. and. <laughs> Uh, you know, I learned it from, uh, from my own. I'm famous for two things. You know, one was uh, inventing voice of IP and the sev- sitting with Sergey Brin and saying no when he was looking for a small investment to start uh, Google, you know. And he was looking for $100,000. And I was like, who needs another search engine, right? So, so anyone who tells you that they know uh, what is the next big thing, uh, I have a few uh, bridges to sell them, you know. So... The, the beauty of this technology is that it, it will touch everything. What we don't know is what, what will happen first. Like, what is it going to be money? Is it going to be insurance? Is it going to be healthcare? And so on, so on. And I think the opportunity for us here is really that, that we can give it a chance. We can give an opportunity to all these people, all these entrepreneurs from all over the world to create platforms in the image of Satoshi in the image of, of, of the Bitcoin community, which I think have done an excellent job in creating value and building value for the early adopters and for all the people who came afterwards. So right now we're going through a shakeout, right? There's a lot of speculators who came in for the wrong reasons. They drove the price to 20,000, but they also the ones who drove the price down to 
3,800 or below 3,800 where it is today. So I think um, the, 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 there's gonna be amazing companies built out of this in the next uh, several years. And if you're in it, if you're listening to it, if you see what the community pays attention to, you will have a good chance to participate in that creation. If you're not, uh, if you're on Wall Street or if you're buying stocks uh, somewhere else, you will not have that opportunity because you're not going to be close enough to know when it's happening. And let me, let me give you a, a quick example because, you know, I met Jeff Bezos in, in 1996 and uh, this was right before he, uh, I think, no, the company was already public, I think. And I think he, 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 he issued the company at like six or seven dollars. And by 2000, the stock was trading at like oh, close to $100 a share. And by 2002, it was down to $5, you know, <laughs> so it was down 95%, right? And everybody, everybody predicted that Amazon is going to go out of business. It's, it's, it, it was a futile. It needed all this infrastructure and it couldn't make any profit. And they all were naysayers who said the end is near. Don't touch Amazon. It's a horrible company. This, you could have bought as much stock as you wanted at $5, right? Today, it's at $1,800. It went as high as $2,000. And, and so Bitcoin and, and Ethereum are kind of like that. They're, mm. they're, they're being beaten up. Everybody's saying bad things about them. And they've, they've went to the highs and now they're at, uh, at, at lows. And, and the, the smart investors, the good investor is someone who can look at this and say, I understand the value of the Bitcoin. I understand... Uh, why the vast majority of the population in the world sooner or later is going to have to use digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, because when you look at what's happening in, in Turkey or in Venezuela or in Argentina or in all these other countries where the governments are just blowing up, or even in Brazil, I mean, in the, the Brazil currency is down 30 or 40%. And then you can understand that, that currencies issued by government could be devalued overnight. You can wake up in the morning and half of the value is gone. That will not happen with cryptocurrencies. So what's gonna drive the option to cryptocurrencies is not necessarily just me and you uh, cheering all of our best friends, but the fact that more and more get hurt because debts, you know, like for example, the debt around the world is at all time high. At the same time, the value of real estate, the value of all, all other, the asset classes is at all time high. So these are the giant bubbles. People tell me, oh, Bitcoin is a bubble. I'm like, Bitcoin is not even a pimple. The real <laughs> bubble is the debt bubble, right? That's tr tens and tens of trillions of dollars that most of us don't know, but we will not be able to repay. And somebody is gonna have to devalue the currency because that's gonna be the only legal way to repay this debt. So um, this is a long speech, but the bottom line is, is that we may need a financial disaster uh, in, in, in the real world for people to finally migrate to the crypto world. And the people who are there already are going to be the main beneficiary. That's wonderful. So kind of kind of to finish this whole interview, I think I've gotten everything I want to get out of this. I mean, I have a lot of stuff to think about now. Uh, one of the things I was uh, referencing when I heard your last podcast with uh, Anthony Pompliano was you said something that I think bothered him a little bit. You said none of the existing blockchains that exist right now are going to be this around in 20 years. We're going to rebuild them. We're going to make new ones, better ones right, of the like. So what is the critical thinking question 
that you think we should wake up in the morning and ask ourselves? Maybe you ask yourself or maybe you, you feel like you're not even brave enough to really face it. What are the questions that entrepreneurs, founders, thinkers of the next generation should be asking themselves moving forward? to really, really get to that next level. So uh, it's not that I don't think that Bitcoin will exist in 20 years. I think it will. It's just not going to be the dominant blockchain. I think there's going to be other solutions that will, uh, again, just like WhatsApp uh, became the most popular VoIP application on the planet. And I can tell you there were 100 experiments before WhatsApp that uh, were good. You know, even some of them had several hundred million users but they did not become WhatsApp, right? So it's the last to win, not the first to win that usually matters. And, and here, what, what, what you need is a platform that everybody trusts, right? It's a platform that everybody can uh, participate, uh, put their net worth in, right? Trust it with their net worth, even just if it's just a store of value. And then on top of it, we need it also to act as a form of payment, right? We need people to trust it enough for it to act as a transaction medium where I want to transfer you something and we both trust that currency to be, or that uh, the, the, the coins uh, to be of value in a form of payment uh, when I transfer the value to you. And today, all the solutions we have, all of them have their own set of problems. They either have a problem on the trust side or they have a problem on the speed side or they have a problem on the cost side, on the adoption or just the uh, you know, proof of work, for example, as a technology itself, I think is a problematic technology. Today, um, you know, the crypto community is generating a tremendous amount of green gases because we are consuming now 0.2% of the, all the power on the planet. So, so we cannot, that's just not a sustainable movement where we are trying to fix the world, make a world a better place, but at the same time, we are uh, adding to global warming and everything else. So there's fundamental issues that all of them need to be solved. And, and when somebody comes up with that solution, 90% of the population, which are the givers, you know, versus the 10% of the population, which are the takers, uh, that, that 90% is gonna look at it and say, this is it, I'm supporting this, I'm all in on this, I'm joining, and it's gonna take on like a wildfire a, a, with everybody adopting it. I mean, the, what you're seeing today that, uh, you know, Bitcoin this month is 10 years old. And what you're seeing that only 6 million people are using it actively, only 6 million wallets are active. Uh, that is very bad news, you know, because when the internet was 10 years old, we had over 500 million users. So our, mm -hmm. our adoption curve is actually way behind schedule. And part of it has to do with us not solving the store of value issue due to the volatility and not solving the transaction issue due to speed and other elements. So because of those things, I'm predicting that the winning blockchain, it's not that none other are gonna exist, but the winning blockchain, the one that's gonna have 90% of the transactions is none of the ones that we use today. Wow, that's fantastic, it's a good argument. It's hard to fight that. But I'm cheering for the solution. We will support that blockchain just like we don't choose Celsius itself, I'm saying, we don't choose winners and losers. We don't go and say, oh, we hate uh, EOS, but we love uh, Ethereum. No, we, we give all of our users the opportunity to make their own selections. Our job is to support all the different blockchains. We try to pay interest on everything we can. Today, I think we pay interest on eight different blockchains. And we're about to uh, add NEO and a few others. 
And the idea is to let the user, let the community decide who are the winners and who are the losers and give everybody the same opportunity. But unlike most projects that, or exchanges that basically when they create value, when they extract the profit, they take it out in dollars and move it to the fiat world, right? Like when, when BitMEX, for example, creates profit, right? They announced that they made $260 million in the first few months uh, of, of last year. They're taking all that money or Binance and they're moving it into dollars and putting it somewhere else, right? We distribute all of our profits, all of our interest in BTC, ETH, XRP, and so on, so on. So all of our profits stay inside the community, right? So you have to just ask yourself, as one of, any one of your viewers, have to look at the project and say, are they acting in the best interest of me and my community or are they really here to hurt everybody? What are they doing? Let me, let me look at how, who benefits. Like when Binance says they're going to make a, a, a billion dollars in profit this year, you know, it comes out of your pocket and our pocket, right? It's not, it's not like they're printing that money. They have some printing, some printer somewhere where they're printing the money. It's all fees that they extract from all of us, right? So instead of them writing you a check, they're just taking more and more fees. We do the opposite. We give all of our depositors a weekly distribution of interest income. And, and, and that is something that no one else is doing. Because like you said about uh, when you were reading all these books and you were saying, hey, no one is crazy enough to give their money away. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what we're doing every week. Every week, we give out 80% of what we collected to the community. Well, that's amazing. Well, to that point, Buddha left his palace and gave away all of his knowledge. Thank you so much for being on the show, Alex. I really appreciate it. Any, any final points? We're definitely going to come out of it stronger and better, you know, because we're going to get rid of all the bad projects. We're going to get rid of all the people that are here for the wrong reasons. And uh, we're all going to walk out of this as Spartans. You know, we're going to be completely uh, inoculated from any uh, bad news or any down markets, you know, so... So I can't wait for the market to recover and, and all of us to benefit from it. Absolutely. I think when everybody's doing a little bit better and they're excited about projects, we get that charisma from the industry back, right? Sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's communicated as memes. Sometimes it's, it's joking. Sometimes it's Dogecoin kind of things. But at the end of the day, the energy of the industry is this good intent and that enthusiasm, that, that, that critical mass for people being excited about it, that's what I'm trying to inspire. That's what I want to help people with. And I'm definitely a huge fan of yours, been yours all year, and your team. And guess what, man? I'm going to try and get some of your team members on here. People don't know how cool the Celsius team is, from, from Kristen to Leah. They are the guys doing all the hard work, so you should definitely interview them as well. Absolutely. So uh, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Uh, any final points you want, you want to share with us? Well, so let me, uh, let me uh, challenge your viewers and, and ask them to the call. The, the action that they all need to take is, is to give uh, a fraction for Christmas or for Hanukkah, give a fraction of their coins to other people who have never used it before, right? I mean, the, the only way to have these people cross the chasm and join the revolution is for them to receive a coin and, and experience like, okay, I'm now, I'm now in the crypto world because most people are still confused about what it is and how do I get started and can I trust these guys and they're asking me for this and they're asking me for that, right? So like you said, a, let's, each one of your viewers needs to go and find 10 friends that are not in crypto and invite them into the community. CellPay, our service is free, so they can all basically use that to, to send via SMS or WhatsApp or, or Telegram or, or, or Twitter 
just send somebody and you will see people will be shocked. People will be thanking you for introducing them into this community, into this revolution, and you're going to change people's lives. You know, and that's, that's what this is all about. So for the givers, give crypto. It's giveaway season. It's the season for giving. This year, give crypto. I love that. I love that. Thanks so much, Alex, man. I really appreciate it. This is a huge uh, milestone for me and blockchain to talk to you. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. We'll uh, we'll do another interview next year after all the coins are recovered. And everyone (laughs) who saw the first interview is going to say, gosh, you know, Alex was telling me to buy a little bit every month and I didn't listen and look at it now. Now it's too high. I can't catch it. You know, it's too late. So don't wait, buy a little bit now, buy a little bit in January, buy a little bit in March, and you'll average your way uh, out. So when it bounces back, it's gonna bounce very quickly. Uh, you're gonna feel like a genius and not like an idiot. It's not too late to get in crypto. Thank you so much, man. And, uh, and we'll keep up with your team, appreciate it. Perfect, take care.